Father, in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the right time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let us give thanks to his name and pray, bring our prayers to him. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, King of glory, your love is within your own being. You're the triune God where there is love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that that love has been directed towards us through Jesus Christ. You are worthy at all times to receive adoration, praise, and blessing. And so we praise you now for sending your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, for whom we do wait to return. And so be pleased to come and be present with us now by your Holy Spirit, to whom along with you, O Father, and the Son, be honor and dominion now and forever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 58, O Splendor of God's Glory Bright. Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. Let us then turn away from sin and turn to Jesus Christ, confessing our sins in penitence and faith. Let us confess our sin together. Almighty God, our sovereign Lord, you yourself have made us, you have supplied our daily needs, and most of all have come to us in grace and mercy while we lived in sin and fear and darkness. We have been a people of no faith, neglecting obedience to your commands, 
knowing what is right and yet doing what is wrong, not believing that you are our God and we your creatures, and not believing that Christ could become one of us and still be God. Forgive us our sin and unbelief, as Christ came into this world asleep in its sin, and as the light of your salvation awakened it, come and awaken faith in us, so that we might do everything through faith in Jesus Christ, and thus receive all things with thanksgiving, and walk in newness of life through the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel we say together. Praise be to God. People of Christ, the Tenth Commandment is this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, or his ox, or his ass, or anything that is your neighbor's. You are to obey Christ with your thoughts, with your words, with your deeds, with your desires. Coveting is desiring things wrongly. You are not to desire for yourself what belongs to someone else. Now, clearly, the commandment is in the context of the Mosaic Law and the, the covenant that God made with Israel. So we can all let ourselves off the hook about coveting our neighbor's donkey or something like that because we don't have any neighbors with donkeys. However, we still have desires. We still have desires for things, and we need to watch our desires and be aware of them. This is not uh, something that we just do on our own. It's because of God's grace that we're able to be aware of desires that are wicked and turned away from what is pleasing to God. And so uh, always remember, we've heard, we've confessed our sin, and we've heard the assurance of pardon, and then we hear the call to obedience, which is a very Calvinistic way of, of doing this. We hear the law as a way to show us how to live. Um, so we live this way out of thanksgiving and grace, and we need to be aware of our desires. We need to be aware of what we desire about other people, other things, especially in a consumer kind of economy. Um, we do have, you know, we can always see our neighbor's house, job, his wife or husband, money, popularity, all kinds of things are still um, easy for us to desire. Our Lord has claimed our desires He's claimed our desires. Our desires are not just our own, that just belong to me, and it's, it's just whatever I have, I can do. He has claimed them. And the apostolic construction to the church is to be content. Paul told the church to be content in all circumstances, which goes to our desires as well. So you are to obey Christ with your whole being. You are called to a radical and complete obedience to God, even with what you desire. Nothing can be held back from you, from, from, from Christ. We cannot hold anything back from our, for ourselves. It all goes to him, and that includes what we desire. So in Christ, your desires are actually changed. There's a sanctification that comes along where at one time, even as Christians, we may have desired certain things that were wrong or that were um, there was a certain uh, evil to them. And God changes them over time, and for that we can rejoice. And that includes our desires. The things that we desire now as we grow older as Christians are going to be different and more in line with God than what we desire when we're younger as Christians. So in Christ, your desires are changed. Your whole heart is for God, 
not for yourself. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 102, All Glory Be to Thee, Most High. Let's bring our petitions to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, your favor towards us fills us with wonder. You have looked upon us in our guilt and our captivity to sin and death, and you have liberated us through Jesus Christ. You've seen our weakness and helplessness and sent your eternal Son to save us. You've not overlooked us or ignored us but you have comforted us with the salvation of Jesus Christ. And we continue to keep our hearts and minds set upon Christ by your grace. Even there, your grace sets us on Christ. So now as we bring our, as we worship you and bring our prayers to you, we do pray for the church and for this world. 
We pray that the church, the whole company of your saints, would rejoice that you have revealed the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. Help the church to understand the significance of your goodness to us and the grandeur and magnitude of your grace. And despite all the conflict, the trouble, the confusion that the church endures this day and even uh, faces within itself, may the church, may we not succumb to sin and unbelief. But by your favor, be firm of faith and confident in Christ. With all this in mind, O gracious Father, we cry out for our brothers and sisters who suffer mistreatment for the sake of Christ, whether that might be harsh words or physical abuse, unfairness, injustice, imprisonment, and sometimes even death. We think of those churches and Christians, along with the the general population in North Korea and Syria, Iran, India, Afghanistan, Egypt, Eritrea, Cuba, and even in places where we live, the kinds of suffering that your people endure. Let them hear the word of Scripture that those who share in Christ's sufferings also share in his triumph and glory. We pray that our suffering and our fellow Christians would be comforted and learn obedience and entrust themselves to you and that we would do the same. Hear our prayers for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for the sake of Christ. O Lord, bless the Orthodox Presbyterian Church to mature in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. Keep our church from being sidetracked or unreflective about the culture in which we live. Bless the ministers of our churches to lead in the way of the ministry of Christ. Help them so to order their time that they may carefully study the scriptures and preach and teach the message of your salvation. We pray for Jonathan Cruz at Community Church in Kalamazoo, for John Ferguson and Covenant OPC in Kamoka, Ontario. We pray for Doug Billsman, Living Hope Church in Ontario, and for the other ministers and congregations of our presbytery. We also pray for our missionaries, Mark Richline and his family in Uruguay, and Mike McCabe with his family in China. Here are prayers for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We offer prayers for those in our world who are fearful and in need of safety, food, shelter, the basic things of life. We especially remember the people in war-torn areas like Israel and Palestine, Ukraine, and those who suffer from violence in our cities. We ask you, O Father, to bring order, the peace of the gospel, and aid to them, and good government that maintains a, a justice and a um, decency uh, and a peace within society. Hear our prayers. For Providence Church, we pray, by your spirit give us your grace that we might have employment and food enough, healing for our bodies and souls, contentment of heart, joy in life, and confidence in your care for us in Christ. And to this end, we pray for those in our congregation who are ill or facing some kind of trouble or difficulty. We pray for Frida, Eduardo, Leah, Jeff and Linda, Fawn and Bob, Eduardo and Shirley, those who will be traveling soon, 
We also pray for our friends, uh, for Tammy and her family, for Becky, Karen, Tara, Angie, Phil, Barbara, Susan, Jane, Tom, Bob, Dominique, and others we name to you in silence. Grant us wisdom and unity here at Providence Church. Guide the search committee. We pray for an opening to start a Bible study at LTU. And we pray that we might meet more people and they would join us with faith in Christ. To you we pray, O Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. And now let us pray in order to prepare our hearts to hear God's word read and preached. Let us pray. O God above, with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. So illumine our hearts this morning that we would Um, understand, we would hear, and uh, respond to your word. 
that the gospel would renew us, um, guide us, and cause us to rejoice in our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We begin our reading in Micah. Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give, up, give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Her Psalter response is from is Mary's uh, Magnificat from Luke. It's printed in the bulletin. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. We turn next to Hebrews chapter 10. Five through ten. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And finally, our gospel reading in John.
John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of the Lord. Advent leads into the celebration of Jesus' birth, and by the third Sunday of Advent, we're moving into the joy of Christmas. It's almost like it can't be contained. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but according to the church calendar, the first Sunday of Advent is always about the second coming of Christ. The second Sunday of Advent's related to John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord, and the third Sunday focuses on Mary, and uh, we heard the Magnificat, her song uh, of joy, um, for God's uh, using her to bring the Savior into the world. And then if by the fourth Sunday, it it's, might as well be Christmas. <laughs> so the, the texts are all related to that way. Um, and so by the time you get to the third Sunday of Advent, we're really moving very close to that joy of Christmas. Um, Christmas in our secular, modern secular culture has had many things ripped out of it. And one of those is Jesus Christ. Largely, Christ gets short shrift in our culture during Christmas. Recently, I read a history about the way we celebrate Christmas, and it said the image of Santa Claus, that sort of iconic image of of Santa Claus that we know so well, came into being during the 19th century. We often uh, kind of project these things backwards and think, oh, that's the way Santa always was understood. But um, really, that, that... kind of jovial elf kind of image uh, came about in the 19th century. Before this, Santa was not marketed the way he is today. I'm not saying there wasn't an awareness of St. Nicholas before that, but he wasn't marketed the way he is today. And the voluminous activity of shopping and buying during this time of year did not really happen for most people until the Industrial Revolution. That's when you start having the rise of the middle class. So now shopping and gift give, gift, giving gifts is a standard part of Christmas. Santa may be a little bit lonely in the malls because very few people are going to malls anymore, but he's still present. You still see him around. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, has been pushed out of the public square. I was driving down the interstate. I saw a billboard that said, Merry Christmas with the Christ part of Christmas, all in capitals, um, so that it would emphasize Christ is you know, there in, in Christmas. And every once in a while, there's a message that says, keep Christ in Christmas. Now, it might seem wrong-headed to expect a secular culture to keep Christ in Christmas, but it does remind us that Christ has been largely removed, and the festivities in our culture are not about him anymore. Christian symbols have been ripped out of Christmas. Lawsuits are threatened against cities unless they remove their manger displays or... Um, the nativities uh, are all dragged into the courts, not all of them, but dragged into the courts 
and they're expunged from public spaces. I was driving over um, on John R. near 13 Mile, and I noticed the public library for Madison Heights still has a nativity at the public library with a menorah, which is fine. Um, but a lot of the libraries, like in Berkeley and other places, removed all those because of the threat of a lawsuit. Crosses, public words like God and sin and salvation are, are not there anymore. And even the word Christmas is being dropped, so we're very often greeted happy holidays. One more thing removed <clears throat> from our popular secular, from our modern secular culture, and this has become glaringly important at Christmas time, glaringly obvious, is divinity. Divinity has been removed. It's the awareness that there's something greater than we are, something divine above us and beyond us. <clears throat> We've lost that awareness in our culture. In the past, across many cultures, it was believed there was a divine transcendence. Humanity's gods, although idolatrous, at least recognized that our fate was controlled by forces bigger than we are. At least there was some sense of that, even if we made those gods into our own image. Mankind made the divine in its own image, but it was aware of something bigger. Today, we hear philosophers and brilliant people tell us that we are alone in the universe. We are alone. The belief is that we are simply here by chance. We're the product of evolutionary forces. And there is a relentless search for signs of other life beyond Earth because it's believed if evolution and the development of, of our species could happen in this planet, why couldn't it happen somewhere else? So they're searching hard for that. It's a relentless search for signs of other life beyond Earth. Scientists have discovered some amino acids, um, but no animate life, and certainly not God. There's been no discovery of God, which for us Christians is probably no surprise because God's not going to be discovered by science, at least not, not the personal God. There's no sign of God <clears throat> as far as our philosophers and brilliant people tell us. Christmas today is about ourselves it's not about the transcendent almighty God who comes into this world to save us from our sin. At this time of year, it becomes evident that the many things that have to do with God have been removed. But there's one thing that remains, and that is the desire that comes with Christmas. The gospel message, and we heard it in our gospel lesson, is that God became man. Athanasius, the great church father, lived in the um, fourth century. He succinctly put it this way, God became man. This is an essential part of the gospel message. Jesus, born of Mary, is God. Now Luke has his way, the gospel of Luke has his way of saying this with the stories about the birth of Jesus. It begins to come out with the angels, God's own messengers. The angel names Mary's baby Jesus and then says, Son of the Most High. Most High is a Jewish way of referring to God. So the Son of the Most High is Son of God. The Gospel of Matthew has another way of telling us who Jesus is. Here the angel appears to Joseph and tells him that, the, that Mary will conceive a son by the Holy Spirit and Joseph is to be, uh, the child is to be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew explains that this was to fulfill the word of the Lord and the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Jesus, the baby, is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus is God who became man. The Gospel of John gives more theological insight into the coming of Jesus Christ. And we heard the prologue, or part of the prologue this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Now, there's a, a great commentator on the Gospel of John named Raymond Brown, and he comments on the three wases in this verse. Remember, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and uh, was with God, and the Word was God. Three wases. The first was refers to the existence of the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word existed before the creation of the world. The second was refers to relationship. And the word was with God. There's a relationship between the word and God. The third was is predication. The word was God. This statement identifies the word. It's like saying Tom or Sally is human. The word is the being of God. That is who the word is. Or as Paul says in Colossians, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So the word then that the Gospel of John is talking about is God. Now, at the end of the prologue, John says the word became flesh, verse 14. Flesh in the Gospel of John often means humanity in rebellion against God. Paul uses that way too. But it can also mean just human existence, and that's what it means here. Thus, John tells us the word was God and he became man. Our epistle lesson from Hebrews puts it like this. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and burnt offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. It's one of those little things in a letter, you know, some of the letters where there's so much, like in Hebrews, and you read that and you just don't think about what it's saying. But when we use it in our worship here and with the sermon, uh, we have time to think about it. And it's basically this body is our humanity. God prepared uh, humanity, our flesh, for his son. So Christ came into the world, and, and a body you have prepared for me. Christ assumed our bodily existence. So even here in Hebrews 10, it's referring to his incarnation. Scripture teaches us that the divine word who became man is Jesus. Now, it's a simple enough statement to say, that's, to say that Jesus Christ is God who became man, but it's not so simple, is it? We, we all know this. We've heard it so much at Christmas time that we hopefully have picked up that there's great mystery here. The church has reflected on this incarnation for centuries in its theology, its hymns, its worship. But at some point, there gets to be a point where we declare there is mystery here. The hymn, All Praise to Thee, Eternal Lord, expressed the mystery this way. Once did the skies before thee bow, a virgin's arms contain thee now. Angels who did in thee rejoice, now listen for thine infant voice. Now, there are many ways to consider the mystery of Christ's incarnation, of God becoming man. And one is that the immortal became mortal. God is eternal. That's who God is. He has no beginning and no end. He always is. In Scripture, the Lord refers to him as the one who is and was and who is to come. And this means that God does not die. Now, there was this uh, existential philosopher back in the 40s and 50s, John Paul Sartre, who famously said, God is dead. For Sartre, that was a way of saying God did not matter. And from this, we actually, from what he said, we actually learn more about Sartre <laughs> than we do about God. He showed that he doesn't know who God is. God exists over and against us, and we cannot escape him, nor can we get rid of him. That's what it means when we refer to God. He is eternal. God is not like us. 
we have a beginning and an end. God, on the other hand, is always there. He's our creator. He's the ground of existence. God as God is the, is the one who has always been and always will be. And that means he cannot die. God is dead. No, God cannot die. Nothing can kill God. There's no fatal sickness that can take him out. God doesn't catch COVID. This, of course, takes us to the wonder of Easter, where the mystery continues. Jesus Christ, who is the eternal, immortal Son of God, as Paul says, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So the immortal becomes mortal in Jesus Christ, and there you have this mystery coming out. As we are all well aware, we are mortal. We do die. Our death is impending, and we must face it. I heard a young person once make the observation that we're dying from the moment we are born. And that shows a level of reflection beyond her years. Typically, young people do not think about their mortality, which is why they do stupid things. And I'm among them. But she was not the first to say this, but it's true, isn't it? From the beginning, that we're, we die from the moment we are born. Despite healthy living and healthy eating, we succumb to death. And that's the nature of our existence. Our human existence is marked by death. Death comes for each one of us. But that's the opposite with Jesus. He's the one who came for death. He came after death. He came after to get it. Human existence is mortal. And therefore, for the immortal one to become mortal, it blows our mind. Jesus is the word who became flesh. How can that be? How can the immortal become mortal? And there is mystery here. It's mystery we need to understand that's in relationship to God, Jesus Christ being God. He's, the, he's divine. He's, he's the holy God. And so it is possible for God, obviously, to, become, to take on our humanity. It's not something we can do. We can't take on divinity, but he can take on our humanity because he's God. He's capable of doing that. So there is mystery, and it is the mystery of Christmas. Another way to talk about this mystery is that God, who is pure and holy, became man. Now, there's no flaw of any kind in God. There's no moral corruption in God. As Deuteronomy says, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and right is he. In short, God does not sin. We, on the other hand, are morally corrupt. Sin affects every part of us. Our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength, all of it is depraved. As Romans says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we marvel that the incorruptible one assumed our corrupted humanity. How can this be? God in Christ enters our sinful humanity, our sinful existence, and he bears it. The apostle says it this way, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And there, again, is the mystery of Christmas. And furthermore, there's the mystery of God who is perfect and complete in himself, becoming a man who changes. God is constant. He is the same. Psalm 102 says, Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hand. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. God does not grow, mature, develop, but we do. Today people talk about the inevitability of evolution. Life changes, the world around us changes, we change. 
were created to mature and become complete. God is complete in himself, but in Christ he becomes man who is not complete in himself. This is the mystery of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The early church spent a lot of time concentrating on Luke chapter 3, and I can't remember the exact verse, but it's, it's at the, um, in, in Luke there about how he grew in knowledge and good favor. Uh, it spent a lot of time thinking about that and preaching sermons on it and all that because it's talking about Jesus Christ, who was God, became man, growing in knowledge and wisdom and favor with the people. That's part of the mystery of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God is complete in himself, but in Christ he becomes man who is not complete in himself. Calvin says it like this. Here is something marvelous. The Son of God descended from heaven in such a way that without leaving heaven, he willed to be born in the virgin's womb, to go about the earth, and to hang upon the cross. Yet he continuously filled the world even as he had done from the beginning. Jesus Christ is God who became man. It's the mystery of Christmas, and it all gets rejected in our society. People today push all of this aside as irrational and silly. And along with so much of the Christian Christmas, the mystery of God becoming man is swept away, swept to the side like a pile of rubbish. And yet, there is something of Christmas that remains with people today. The statement, God became man, is the first half of Athanasius' phrase. The second, the the rest of it, the full statement is, God became man so that man might become God. Now, when I first heard that, I'm probably like, you know, most most Christians who hear that and just think, what? This man was a church father, and actually there are a lot of churches that use a confession that he wrote. Um, They use it instead of the Nicene Creed. Um, So he has great respect even in the Reformed churches, but that's the phrase. God became man so that man might become God. It's a strange thing to say, and it doesn't sound right. Does it? But Athanasius did not mean that we would merge into the very being of God, nor did he mean that we would replace God. Neither was he trying to confuse the categories of who God is and who we are. Athanasius was speaking of the mystery of the incarnation, that in Jesus Christ, the immortal, holy, pure, and perfect God assumes our humanity in order to heal us of our sin and give us eternal life and make us incorruptible and complete. The incorruptible holy God took our flesh in order to heal us of our sin and make us incorruptible. And when the incorruptible God takes our corrupted flesh, he's not tainted by it. It doesn't somehow corrupt him. Instead, what happens is our humanity is purified. Now, there is something of this desire for immortality and perfection in modern people. There's something of that desire even today when everyone's pushing Christmas to the side. We want to live longer and no longer have corruption. Don't we all have that desire? Modern man has his own way of expressing this desire. Some of the most powerful voices today believe we can become God through technology. So there's a guy, Sebastian Soong, who sums it up. Humanity will make itself into God. The physicist Michio Kaku believes humans enhanced by technology will have perfect bodies, except we will be ageless. We will become the gods we once feared. In a word, we will move past our homo sapien corruption and become post-human. That's what they're saying. In 1979, there was this paper 
called Time Without End, Physics and Biology in an Open Universe by Freeman Dyson, a physicist. He asserts that the universe has a point, has purpose, as long as it harbors intelligence. As long as there's intelligence in the universe, it, in the universe it has purpose. Eons from now, he conjectures, our descendants may occupy other solar systems, other stars, galaxies, star systems, galaxies, perhaps after shedding our flesh and blood bodies and becoming clouds of sentient gas. That's something to think about, cloud of sentient gas. I'll be waving at your, your cloud. Dyson asserts that no matter how far we go into the future, there will always be new things happening, new information coming in, new worlds to explore, a constant expanding domain of life, consciousness, and memory. The universe must have intelligence. It must have it. It's not like it needs, it has to have it. It does have it. And so we will live on because we are part of that intelligence. In short, we will live as intelligence in some form or another. The belief is that with technology, we can overcome our mortality so that we do not die anymore. We will have the capacity to remain fully healthy, active, and productive, both mentally and physically. Also, through technology, we can make ourselves morally pure and put an end to injustice and evil. We will solve persistent problems, including poverty, disease, war, and climate destruction. The expectation is that we will become perfect and complete in ourselves and technology, with technology. The assumption is that we who are corrupted and morally impure are able to get past what we are and make ourselves incorruptible and pure. There is desire here. Do you hear it? There is a desire here. As Athanasius puts it, it's the desire to become God. Who is incorruptible? Who is pure? It's the desire of Christmas. Although it's severely twisted, isn't it? It's twisted away from God. It's turned in on ourselves. It's the Christmas desire that's warped, but it's still there. And this warped desire may get into us. When we begin to think that we can overcome our own moral corruption and the corruption of this world, then we have picked up this twisted Christmas desire. People want to live, and if they could live in good health and well-being, they have a desire to live forever. Suicide is becoming more prevalent, but it is contemplated and attempted when people feel like their life is a shambles or headed to a wreck or they're tired of living in the ruins, the ruins of their body, the ruins of this world. I had a great uncle named Henry, who was Jewish. He and his wife were very generous to me, and they were two of my favorite people in my family. He was kind, and he loved people. He owned a successful poultry business in Oklahoma City. He was well-liked and respected in that city. And after I graduated from college, I did not see him for several years. Eventually, his wife died, who's actually my relative, you know, the direct blood relative, and he handed his business over to someone else who ran it into the ground almost immediately. In his old age, his body was falling apart, and his son came to live with him. Heidi and I were able to visit him, and we found him sleeping on a mattress on the floor in the living room. He was despondent and miserable, and he said to us with agony written all over his face, I would take my own life, except I do not have the courage. Not long after our visit, he passed away. 
There is a desire to live on, but not in our mortal, corrupted existence. The joy of Christmas is that God became man in Jesus Christ in order to deliver us from our sinful humanity and bring us into incorruptible eternal life with God. Go forth and share the good news of the gospel with those you meet who have the desire of Christmas but are trapped in the corruption of sin. This Christmas, may your desire be God's desire to make us incorruptible and complete in Christ because only God fulfills the longing of our hearts. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have given your only begotten Son to take our nature upon him and to be born of the Virgin Mary. Grant that we who have been born again and made your children by adoption and grace may daily be renewed by your Holy Spirit. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom with you in the same Spirit be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith with the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we prepare to come to the Lord's table is number 219, All Praise to Thee, Eternal God.
celebrate the communion uh, meal at the table, but there is a note in the bulletin, we talked about this last week, but um, those who cannot, who are not communicant members are still welcome to come forward, receive a blessing. Um, traditionally, the way you do that is you cross yourselves, which means you're not taking the communion, but you do want to receive a blessing. So feel free to come forward for that. The Apostle John looked through the door of heaven and saw the living creatures, the elders and myriads of angels, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb. In Israel, God instituted the spotless, innocent, sacrificial Lamb to be the substitute for the people. The priest laid his hands on the Lamb and the sin of the people was transferred to it. We read about that in Leviticus. Then the lamb was slain in their place. In the Passover meal, God's people feasted on the lamb that was slain for them. Isn't that interesting? The one that removed their sin is the one who became the source of their new life. That's the same with Jesus Christ, but in a much more full and real way. He is the lamb of God who removes the curse of sin and death upon us by taking it upon himself and destroying it. The Apostle says, we know that our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be destroyed. And by his resurrection, Christ has made the end of death. Now we come to the table, and by faith, in the bond of the Spirit, we feed upon the Lamb, Jesus Christ. He bears our sin and punishment, and he gives his righteousness and life to those who have faith in him. The words of institution are what set this meal apart. Christ instituted this meal, and we celebrate it according to his institution. So we always hear those words, that while they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine, until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. As you accept this gracious invitation our Lord extends to, to his people to come to this table, you confirm that you are trusting Jesus Christ alone as your Savior from sin, endeavoring with all your heart to obey him, and you are seeking to live with love and concern for your fellow Christians with whom you will be eating and drinking. All who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and are communicant members of the Christian church, are welcome to come and partake of the food at this table. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for his salvation and life for us in Jesus Christ. <coughs> Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And it is right to give him thanks and praise. All glory and honor be yours always and everywhere. Mighty Savior, our Creator, ever-living God, we give you thanks and praise for your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, who for love of our fallen race humbled himself, was born of the Virgin Mary by the power of your Spirit, and lived as one of us. 
In this mystery of the Word made flesh, you have caused His light to shine in our hearts, to give knowledge of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. In Him we see our God made visible, and so are caught up in the love of the God we cannot see. And therefore, with all the angels of heaven, we lift our voices to proclaim the glory of your name, and joyfully we say, Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Receive our praises, Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we follow his example and obey his command, granted by the power of your Holy Spirit, with this bread and the cup, we may feed upon him in faith. As Jesus Christ told us to do this in remembrance of him, therefore, Heavenly Father, we do remember his once offering of himself upon the cross. We proclaim his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension. We look for the coming of your kingdom. And with this bread and this cup, we make the memorial of Christ, your Son, our Lord. Accept through him, our great high priest, this our sacrifice of thanks and praise. As we eat and drink these holy gifts in the presence of your divine majesty, renew us by your spirit, inspire us with your love, and unite us in the body of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, with all who stand before you in earth and heaven, we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. We give our thanks, and together we say, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup, and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. We give you thanks, O Lord, for these, your heavenly gifts. Kindle in us the fire of your spirit that we may faithfully be witnesses of your salvation. And when our Savior Jesus Christ shall come again, we may shine as lights before his face, all because of your grace and your spirit, who lives and reigns with you now and forever. Amen. Our final hymn is number 194, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. I turn your attention to the bulletin and items therein, the insert in the bulletin, beginning with our Christian education class today, which will follow a brief time of uh, fellowship and refreshment after worship, starting about 1115 or I should say for some's benefit, exactly at 11.15, or 11.45, excuse me. Maybe if I say 11.15, we can start. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Keep in mind, as winter sets in, the, the need for the food pantry, the deacon's food pantry. Our Christmas Eve service, you may have seen an email go out recently this weekend to um, announce that, and we will be seeking readers for the lessons, and anyone who would like to accompany the carols um, for that evening, please please let Pastor know. It will be on 6 p.m. Uh, this Christmas Eve. Six p.m. Yes, a little earlier than in times past. I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah. Since I've been walking on the road to Nebraska. That night? Yes. I'm not doing the whole trip. Okay. Um, so I have the sign-up sheet. I should have started this last week, but please, if you'd like to read... Come up, let me know, and I'll put your name down. Um, John is playing the piano. No, it's Mark. Mark is playing the piano. Okay. We did, it, originally I advertised the time is 7 o'clock, but I, try, I sent an email out and I'm trying to get everyone to set. It's at 6 o'clock. Uh, that's a better time. And if you want to, if you have some musical ability, voice or instrument, feel free to uh, participate. You pick which, which carol you want it to lead. That's what you're doing. You're leading us in the singing of it. And um, I'll put you down for that. We'll let Mark know. And, um, but we need to know that ahead of time. So. And so right today, right after this, if you can come forward if you want to read and let me know. All right. That is all I have. Deneen has something. Very good. 
so there are some items in the library that are the results of uh, Michael and Janine sorting uh, through Michael's parents' home. So you can see, uh, take a look at items there in the, in the library. That is all.